When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. This is The Family Brain, and I'm Megan Gibson. Today on The Family Brain, I will be talking to someone who I have been following on Instagram for quite a while, Liz Clyderock. She has an Instagram page called Teach and Transform. She's a teacher and a curriculum developer and a speaker on topics that are historically difficult to talk to with kids, but she presents information in such a way like white privilege, diversity, consent, um, and presents information in such a way that kids receive the information. And what's interesting to me is a lot of the tools she uses with children are useful to me. Sometimes these complicated topics can be tricky to understand. And sometimes when you just break it down to something that a child can understand, it helps us grownups too. So I'm so excited to talk with her and share her as a resource. I encourage you to follow her on Instagram, teach and transform. And she has a lot of great work that she's doing to help us better educate our our kids and ourselves. Thank you so much for taking your time today. And I just have loved following your work, um, Teach and Transform. And is is that the best place for people to learn more about you and the work that you're doing? Yes, definitely. Yes, on Instagram. Either the website or Instagram. Okay. And I know you started as a classroom teacher. Are you still a classroom teacher or do you mostly do curriculum and speaking in other places? I do both. I am still a classroom teacher though. Okay. Do you teach in a public school or a private school or what's the, the scenario? I'm at a public charter school. Very cool. Because I was just curious, I was, I was, all the work that you're doing is very um, forward moving. And I'm just wondering if, if the charter school has given you more freedoms to do some of the work that you're doing versus being in a public school. I would definitely say so. Yes. 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 That's exciting though. That's what's so cool about charter programs and having the ability to try something new and see how it works. Um, Yeah. I mean, they definitely get a bad reputation sometimes, but I think, you know, there are some really awesome charters and then there are some really not so great traditional public schools. Like it really, it's, it's hard to generalize because there are so many and they're so different. 
I agree. I agree. Um, so what got you interested in the first place in teaching about bias and racism and prejudice and all of, all of the, the things? What, what do you say when people ask what you do? How do you describe what, what your role is? I say that I am an anti-bias and anti-racist educator for both children and adults. Um, so that means that I create curriculum and content for teachers to use with students in school, including my students. Um, but I've also begun to work more with adult professional development, um, both teachers and parents. I love that. It, it seems like there's becoming even a big demand, too, in corporate culture and just everywhere, just because I think people, including myself, think they've got it all kind of figured out. And turns out we don't, you know, that there's always so much more to learn. Um, have you found kids to be more receptive than adults or or is it sort of just depend on the scenario? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Um, I will go to my grave saying that kids are more receptive to this work than adults. Um, you know, I think kids are just, they're very open-minded. Um, they're very willing to engage in conversations before they've kind of picked up on these hints from society that subjects are taboo or, you know, you should be uncomfortable when talking about things like race or religion or money or, you know, all those topics that adults have kind of been conditioned not to talk about in the United States. Um, And I find that when kids are given the opportunity to share um, and talk and, you know, ask questions, like it it just comes out like a waterfall. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like it's really it's unfortunate how uncommon it is for students and kids to be given a a place at the table to voice their opinions and ask questions. So like when they're given the opportunity, they really jump at it. That's great. What do you think, what do you think is limiting the availability of opportunity for kids to have that space? I honestly think that it's the discomfort of a lot of adults, um, that there's a lot as grownups where we've been conditioned to think or behave in certain ways. And there's a lot of work that many of us have not done around unpacking our own identities and biases and questioning why we feel certain ways about engaging in topics. And I feel like it's often our own discomfort that creates these barriers. It doesn't really have to be that much for kids. Well, and what's so interesting to me to learn is in some of what I was just talking to this woman who was saying that she's not on Instagram. She's not on social media because she just doesn't want to deal with all the you know, frustrating messages of you're not enough or, you know, look at my perfect family or whatever. And I was telling her how what's neat for me is social media has opened up this whole world for me of learning about people that are not like me. And I mean, I can do that in my daily life also, but these are people who really, you included, you know, know what they're talking about. And it's such a, to me, it's such an amazing resource that we have now to be able to sort of learn outside of our little bubbles and, and sort of get uncomfortable. You know, that's one of the things I've realized too, is that being uncomfortable is probably the, the, the starting block of learning, you know, because if you're not a little uncomfortable, then there's nowhere to grow. Absolutely. Yeah. Could not have said it better myself. <laughs> um, it, that, that has been a big learning point for me because I, I you know, like I said, I, I thought that I knew a fair amount and turns out there's miles to go. Um, so what got you originally interested in this kind of work? What, what prompted you to take this on? Cause it is an uncomfortable thing. And it, I would guess that you weren't kind of like, Oh, I'm going to be an anti-bias teacher when you were little. Or maybe you did. I don't know. No, I mean, I definitely didn't even know that, you know, this type of career path existed 
um, you know, it's still something that I feel like I'm very much like carving out for myself and figuring out as I go. Um, you know, I was raised in an environment that really highly valued like philanthropy and being involved in your community and, you know, all of those values. But I think really becoming a teacher for the first time made me question the lens through which I learned those values and ideas. Um, I think I started teaching with the best of intentions, but I had a pretty intense, like, savior complex, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, like, I grew up in an affluent family and community and went to, you know, a private school, and I'm going to give back and, like, help poor kids, which was just, I, I've i had to unlearn so much of that deficit mindset and lens um, when engaging with families and kids who are very different than me. Um, so it's been a very humbling experience for me over the past 10 years that I've been engaged in this work. Um, I feel like it was a huge cultural shift and like wake up call for me after I, you know, attended independent school like my entire life, including college, um, and had pretty much like one of the best educations, you know, money could buy and was put into these schools where the kids were fantastic. The, the families were fantastic, but they, have they're you know victims of just being in the most under-resourced places um and the discrepancies I saw were just so inequitable I want to help my students develop their voices so they can advocate for change in their communities in the ways that they see fit in the ways that they want to be helped not the way that I think they should be helped right No, that's great. I had a similar experience as a social worker thinking, well, I have learned all these things I've read in these books and allow me to take them to your communities. And, and, you know, and once you get there, you're kind of like, they're teaching me. And I, I mean, it was such a gift because I learned so much from the communities I was in and, um, really got to better understand how I'm looking at things just from my, my one little spot on this earth, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's definitely, um, I don't know, a gift to, to, to learn from other people. Yeah, absolutely. So what, if somebody was, came to you and was like, so what is this white privilege thing anyway? I mean, I don't know if people talk to you like that, but I'm sure behind closed doors, people say things like that. Like, what is this anyway? What would be your, uh, I mean, really like, you know, what would be your, for someone who really just doesn't get it and, and it seems like maybe they want to, if somebody just doesn't want to get it, they're not going to get it, I would guess. But if somebody kind of wants to know, but really just has no, no clue, what would you say to them? Right. I mean, I would say this is definitely asked behind closed doors and also like very publicly too. Um, but white privilege is this idea that white people and communities and culture are very much centered in our society and therefore valued above others. Um, And this means that white people systemically have unequal and unfair access to opportunities and resources compared to black people, indigenous people, or people of color. And I think where a lot of people get stuck is this idea of, well, I was, I'm white and I grew up and was very financially disadvantaged. Like I didn't grow up with a lot of money and I struggled. And that's completely valid. Like you can be white and have experienced hardship and struggle, but just recognizing that your struggle systemically does not have to do with the color of your skin. You can have had a hard life as a white person, 
But again, the reasons your life was hard do not have to do with race. And I've also like continued that conversation because some people, some white people will come into the conversation and say, well, you know, I was one of the only white people in my community and I was teased by the black kids at school and I was, you know, harassed by the black or brown kids at school. And I don't deny that those things happen and that can be very traumatic. Um, that's incredibly unkind. Like that is absolutely harassment, but you can experience discrimination and bias, but that is still something very different than racism because racism is about having prejudice and power. Mm. And historically in the United States and to this day, People of color, black people, indigenous people just do not hold the same sort of power when it comes to shaping policies that affect people's daily lives. Yeah, I love it. Now, that is very well put. And I mean, I, I really I follow you because I want to be better at saying these things. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you have that moment of like, and I just, you know, you get mad and you know, you want to say something, but you're not sure exactly what it is. And I feel like you've done such a great job just making it clear and, and helping people understand here's what it is. Here's what it isn't. And I appreciate all your tools. I think the fact that you're, you're, you're thinking for a child audience is probably helpful for the adults too. You know what I mean? Like make it as simple as possible. Cause that's probably how we're going to get it. That's definitely the goal. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Um, and one of the other things that I've read that you work on is consent and the topics of consent in schools. I mean, that's, do you, do you tie that in with racism or how do you, how do you, it seems like you've got a, your, your hands in a lot of, you know, difficult subjects. Is that how you group it? Just difficult subjects in general, or is there a okay. primary focus of what um, you're presenting? You know, it really depends. Like sometimes uh, the lessons that I write, um, you know, are very, are thought out well in advance. And sometimes I'm creating things that are, I'm just responding to what the kids are bringing into the classroom on any particular day, um, or trying to respond to something that's going on in our community. Um, but always trying to come at it from a very proactive standpoint. Like, so for the for example, like the consent piece happened during like the peak of like the Me Too movement, um, during the Brett Kavanaugh Supreme Court hearings, and um, just recognizing that we have some serious systemic issues um, around consent and how we are either reading or not reading people's language and tone and body language. And those are skills that can be really explicitly taught at a young age. So it doesn't end up having to be this big, scary conversation when kids hit, you know, like middle school or high school. But these are things that we're often already doing with children, like trying to communicate that you don't hit people when you want something that you ask nicely. And if somebody says no or stop, you listen to them and like you respect their wishes. Um, I have not tied this into race. I think if I had taught older students, it would be much easier to like you could, you know, tie in, you know, things like, you know, Anita Hill's hearing and um, things like that. Um, but this year with third graders, I have not done so. We're really focusing on like respecting people's physical bubble space right. um, and also translating that to like setting personal boundaries, both physical and emotional with other people. Yes, that is so important. And I grew up not really learning about that. I remember still I was I was in my early 20s and I was tickling someone, uh, someone's child, like my roommate's sister's child. And the kid didn't really like it, but I thought it was funny. And I don't know. And she gave me a very firm, like, she said, no, you need to stop. And that's just not how I grew up. I grew up like tickling is fun. And it's just, I, 
And I, it was, it was uncomfortable for me, but I was like, okay, I learned it. I got it. You know? Um, and I was too old to be learning that lesson. Like it's almost embarrassing, but I just, it had never been presented to me. And I'm thankful that this is a conversation that's coming up more now. Yeah. So, and hopefully just the awareness, you know, just changes people's lens a little bit. You know, if they see things like the example you just gave that instead of just brushing it off, you know, you have now have language and tools to address it. Right. No, I think it's, it's important. And it, I, I feel like we don't have enough resources for this. I mean, you are an amazing resource. What other resources would you point people to if, if they want to learn more about the work you're doing? Is there, you know, uh, books or things that you really are always recommending to people to, if they're, they want to sort of invest more in this work? Um, so I've done a lot of work with teaching tolerance, um, had sat on their advisory board since I won their award last year, but they have some really phenomenal resources and lessons. Um, it's primarily geared towards educators, but I think that, you know, just parents and family members and caregivers can certainly get a lot out of it. Um, there's another social media account, but they also have a, a website called the conscious kid and they put out some really phenomenal content. Um, they just, uh, I think they're actually still doing it. They did a month-long series about why it's so important to talk to kids about race, um, you know, all backed up by research and studies, and, you know, I learn from them every single day. Um, and if people want to continue to learn from me, like, I have my website, um, teachandtransform.org, um, also very active on Instagram, and people can also just feel free to shoot me a message, too. Um, I recently developed a lot more work on my Patreon account, um, so that way I can provide more curated content for people who are interested in pursuing and developing this work on their own. Awesome. So you'll do it for individuals or just schools or anyone? Um, really depends on your, on the situation. Like I have a number of patrons on Patreon. So if people have like individual questions and want to, um, you know, gain some assistance in crafting like a unit or a lesson for their students, um, that's how I've started to communicate more with people there just because on, you know, your regular social media, I get quite a number of messages and questions a day. And it's very, very hard to, you know, balance that with, uh, teaching and having a personal life. Of course. Yes. That's another thing that I've really learned. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me is that I, I can see how there's a frustration or I've read how there's a frustration in this, in the community of people who are teaching that this is like taking a lot of time and that it's, it's useful if people can understand that this is a resource and to, to support it, you know what I mean? And, um, and that's something that I think uh, that's a white privilege thing. You know, I'm sitting learning on Instagram about these hard topics and, um, and I don't know, I guess that was just something that I hadn't thought of that, that it can be exhausting having to talk about things that are, you know, I mean, you just had a long day at work and now you're talking about this again, you know? So I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate it. I mean, I will always be happy to engage in conversation, even if somebody is coming from a very different perspective. If you are entering a space, like willing to talk and listen and learn, um, the same as I am, like, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you. Um, it's just harder when people immediately, you know, go to assuming negative intent and assigning, you know, blame or, you know, hurling insults rather than coming from a place of curiosity. Has your, um, has your toughness level been increased as you've been involved in this work? Oh my goodness. Yes. I would say even just since, 
September or October, which is when the consent chart went viral. Um, that's when things really started to pick up on social media, um, gained a lot of attention. Like the vast majority of it was very, very positive. Um, but it was really interesting having like hate mail show up in my work email account, things like that. Um, you know, the things that I post, especially lately, I've tried to be a lot more explicit around naming things like whiteness and white privilege and white fragility. Um, and people have a lot of very strong emotional reactions to that and respond in ways that I know they probably would not if we were speaking face to face, but I feel very safe doing so, you know behind a username. Right. Well, I am very impressed. You are very strong in your responses and clear. I think that that's the thing that I respect a lot is that you don't, um, you don't come back with like, I'm going to fight you. You're just like, here's what I'm saying. Take it or leave it. You know, this is the information I'm providing. And I don't know, I'm, I'm impressed with your responses. So I appreciate it. It's definitely, I'm um, it's definitely hard because a lot of the time I'm trying to educate people about things that affect my humanity and the humanity of my friends who come from marginalized backgrounds. And when people try to push your buttons or, you know, want to debate you kind of for the sake of their entertainment or education and not realizing, you know, how deeply personal this is for us while it's just education or entertainment for them, um, that can be really, really hard to deal with. Yes, I can only imagine. Have you seen this new um, Brene Brown Netflix special? Oh my goodness. I love Brene. Me too. I'm obsessed. (laughs) She, um, she was actually supposed to be speaking here in Austin this week and I've seen her speak before, but I was like, how did I not know about this? I legit went down to the hotel to try and like figure out how to get a ticket and like a weirdo, but that's how much I love her. But yeah, it's, she speaks to this idea that when her Ted talk went viral and she just, she just wasn't used to all that attention. But what's cool to me is seeing her now, you can tell that she's, she's ready. You know what I mean? She's kind of like, bring it on. I'm ready now. Yeah. I mean, I love her new book, Dare to Lead. And there's a quote by, um, I think Teddy Roosevelt in the beginning. And I keep going back to it time and time again, that, you know, essentially, is just trying to tell you that if you are in the arena getting your ass kicked, then that is what matters. Mm -hmm. And if other people are coming at you with criticism and negativity and they are in no way invested or engaged in this work, then, you know, ignore it, like let it go. They're not the voices or opinions you should be caring about. You know, if you don't have any skin in the game, then why are you coming at me? Right. No, I love that quote too. And what's so cool is I didn't realize in her Netflix special, she talks about how she found that quote when she was um, basically in that shame spiral from all these hateful emails. And it just, it was a cool, cool the way she found that message. Um, What, I'm just curious what um, kind of support or... um, community have you found in this work? Do you have people that are doing similar work that you're able to collaborate with and vent with and process with? Do you have that space? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, 
I attended UCLA for grad school and it has the graduate education program has a very strong focus on social justice and transforming public education. Um, I'm very close with my advisor still. I go to her for advice and to talk so often I joke that I should still be paying tuition to UCLA (laughs) Um, and still close with a number of my classmates and you know we're very you know we're very aligned and how we see the role of teachers and how we want, um, you know, education to look going forward in the future. Um, my school also has a pretty deep commitment to equity and, you know, creating an inclusive community. So I have a lot of people at work who I feel like I can talk to. And then just through social media, I've connected with so many amazing folks who are doing such incredible work all over the country. And it's great to hear their perspectives and what they're doing in their classes and learn from them. Um, and really expanding like my ideas of creating like a truly intersectional community because there are ways where I thought I was really meeting the needs of my learners and I really wasn't like I was looking at things at a very surface level and I've really been able to educate myself further through that. Right. Well, that's what I think is so cool is when you, you have a topic and I think as, as we stay sort of humble learners, it's such a great experience for us as well. You know, I, I, when I started this podcast, I thought, you know, I'm, have all this mental health background. I'm going to share information. And I learned so much more than I ever thought I would ever learn. And um, it's it's been fun. And I sort of think if people can come to things with that open mind, it's helpful, you know, but it's sometimes hard to get there. Mm-hmm. What, what, what advice would you give to parents or teachers who are in a school system that are teaching things that are not – in line with what they know to be true. <laughs> you know, like if, if there's a school system, for example, that's celebrating the, um, the Indians and the pilgrims having a nice meal together and, you know, what, what, what would you recommend for people to do to sort of, um, make changes in their own communities? Yeah. I mean, I think the more support you can gather, the better. And I know, that I'm also speaking from a privileged position where I work with a lot of very like-minded people and it's very challenging to be that one voice in your community to speak up when everybody else is used to doing things by the status quo. Um, oftentimes I found that the more data and research backed up you can, you can locate, uh, the better. And I always try to ensure that the lessons I create are aligned with common core standards. So even if I'm using you know, a different text or having my students write about a different topic, the fact that I'm still going by the standards, um, I feel like somehow like keeps me a little bit safer. Mm -hmm. Um, I also believe in using a lot of student inquiry. So it's not just me standing at the front of the classroom telling kids like what I think. Um, It's about getting to know what they know Mm -hmm. and having them generate questions that really drive a unit of study. Um, Like I've had a lot of students this year ask questions about what it means to be transgender like well since you are bringing it up mm-hmm. like what do you think like we let's like explore this a little bit more um but i i always have to be very careful that i'm not going to be accused of you know preaching from the pulpit right um yeah no that's i um i i will say that there have been a number of times where i I have written some letters, but I think you're right about the community and getting a few people. So it's not like you're just the, and maybe that means having these conversations that are uncomfortable and that maybe people won't agree with you and you just keep on talking to people and, and finding the group that, that can stand together. 
Yeah, and especially like if you're a teacher, trying to find um, like some allyship with parents and family members can be really huge. And if you're a parent and you know your child comes home with some you know very problematic assignment about like Thanksgiving or enslavement in the United States, like being very vocal and voicing those concerns to your teachers, to your administrators, like when it comes to historical facts asking like who do you serve to benefit who are you like what are you trying to protect by giving this very whitewashed version of history and what kind of a disservice are we doing to our students right and that's where are you teaching what state are you in I'm in California. California. Okay. I'm in Texas. <laughs> so yes, although I am in Austin, but, um, it is just interesting. I think regionally, you know, there are just different responses. I just was talking to a woman, um, who was in town from Boston and she was asking about the differences cause I had lived in Boston also. And, um, it is. I mean, it's culturally, I would say not again, not so much Austin, but, but Texas has a different vibe going than for example, Massachusetts or California. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting how it's not a collective movement. It's sort of all over the map in terms of the country. Yeah, very much so. And I have, you know, been very lucky and had the opportunity to lead workshops and, you know, work with schools and districts like all over this country. And, I, you know, I think I take a lot for granted teaching in a very liberal state, um, in a very progressive city. Um, you know, there are schools and places I've worked in where they're still like literally desegregating their curriculum. Mm -hmm. Um, they're in a very, very different place, places where, you know, Bible standards are still listed on the state educational website. Um, so we're all in very different spaces. It's definitely a spectrum. Well, I am going to, um, ask that you come and speak in our district. That would be amazing. And that would be super fun. I think there's just so much to learn about, about how to have the, like you say, how to have these hard conversations. It's not so much that you're, what I like about what you're doing is you're not saying here, here's what I'm going to teach you to think. I'm going to teach you to think about what you're already thinking. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, it's not like here, change you, but like, let's figure out what you're already doing and, and help you sort of piece through that. If that's making sense. Am I making sense? Yeah. Okay. You are making sense. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I thank you so much. Is there anything that you were hoping you would get to talk about that you didn't get a chance to mention? I mean, I think we got to cover a lot. You asked good questions. Well, thank I, you. I guess, um, I would tell parents that, it's okay to not have all of the answers, but that kids are very much going to follow your lead and how you react when certain subjects come up. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you want your kids to be late racially literate, then if they ask you about race, like try not to have a panic attack right. and it's okay to tell them, you know, I don't know, but when we get home, like let's look something up together. Like let's learn this together. Um, and if you are an educator who is listening to this, do not feel like you have to, you know, take on the worlds and do everything at it, like at the same time, but starting with like one lesson with one unit, something that you're passionate about and build out from there. I love that. That's a good, that's a good message. Cause I think that is, it can be daunting and overwhelming, but I, I like that. Just t- start somewhere. Um, 
So the last question I always ask people on the podcast is what do they do to take care of themselves as they do this difficult work? So you're out here helping other people and teaching and I mean, it's, it's pretty draining work. What do you do to make sure you're taking care of yourself? I am an exercise fanatic. Um, I work out at least like four or five times a week. Um, it's just this time where I allow myself to be completely selfish. Um, and when I, I love doing classes in particular, like I have a hard time working out by myself, yeah. but if someone's kind of like yelling at me and telling me what to do, then I'm not thinking about work at all. Um, I really like watching horror movies because I find that if I'm like anxious about a horror movie, I can't be anxious or nervous about anything else going on. Um, but also just, leaning on my friends, um, my partner, my family, if anything's going on, like I went through a incredibly horrific breakup in my late twenties and, um, it was a very humbling experience of just being very vulnerable and having to ask for help and accept help that was given. Um, and I feel like that was such a valuable lesson. And so when I feel like I'm struggling, reaching out as soon as I feel like I need support. That's, that's good information. I think that I've heard that from a number of people. Sometimes it's the, the things that were the hardest in our past that really have uh, taught us the most, you know, and it wouldn't be something that you would ask for, like, please sign me up for this devastating moment, but that there's some sort of growth and, and uh, that happens in that, that, that would be hard to come by otherwise. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I so appreciate talking to you. And I kind of, um, I want you to come to my school. So I'm going to work on that. Yes, please. I would love that. All right. And I'll I'll point people in your direction to find you on the web. Sounds great. All right. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I would love it if you leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps other people find the podcast and helps share this information with a broader audience of people. I would love it also if you check out our Instagram account, Family Brain Podcast, our Facebook page, The Family Brain. And I also have a website, Family Brain Podcast, which has all of our past episodes. So if you're someone who has issues listening to iTunes and the podcast app, that might be a good place to go to check out the past episodes. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.